Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 15 of Starting to Know Business Podcast with your host, your friend, Ishu Singh. Yes, same thing. If you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, Starting to Know Business is about exploring the unexplored depths of the business world because in this business world, we are always learning something new. If you're a repeat listener, if you're listening to this podcast for second time, third time, please leave me a five-star review. Because in this podcast right now, it's all from your support. If I'm not going to get your reviews or support, it's going to be hard for me to keep on producing the useful content that you might need it for right now or might need it for your future as well. If you haven't checked my website, you should check my website right now www.issuesync.com. You can go there, you can check my different projects that I'm doing, you can check my YouTube channel, my Medium, and many other things that I'm doing. Check out the articles that I'm producing. These podcasts can also be found there. You can check all the episodes there as well. And again, don't forget to give me a five star review. There are many ways to define yourself or to show yourself that you are different. So what can be the word for doing that? It can be uncrowd, uncrowd yourself from something that is already crowded. Startup ecosystem is crowded, crowded in a way that it's taking on the things that is going on from past many years. There is no change coming. Or there are many companies coming up trying to change this whole game, this whole scenario to bring in the diversity. And Forrest Richter is also trying to do the same thing with his platform Uncrowd.io. He's a CEO of Uncrowd.io, a software platform efficiently connecting investors with the underrepresented startup founders. Hi, Forrest. Welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, appreciate you letting me be on. So Forrest, tell us about Uncrowd. How are you uncrowding the crowded market? Yeah, so I built Uncrowd.io to connect underrepresented founders, so women, people of color, LGBTQ plus founders um, with investors. And really what we're trying to do is make that process efficient. Um, right now, the underrepresented group receives less than 10% of all venture capital. And, and we see that as not just a, a social impact issue, but also an economic uh, opportunity. Right now, what I like to say is that if a black woman from Montana created the next Uber, it would not get funding. And, and that is a huge miss for investors as well. So we believe this is a space where everyone can make money. Okay, okay, I got it. So you are handling a very fragile situation. I can say that because uh, this is a something really challenging. Not everybody can stand against it and you are standing and trying to change the things and I really appreciate that. So you are helping the startups or you're helping the businessmen or entrepreneurs in a particular niche or off a particular stage or it's something different. Yeah, right now we are just a piece of technology within the middle. Um, what we're trying to do is consolidate the ecosystem. So for startups, uh, they come to uncrowd.io and they make a profile that goes through some KPIs, gets into some details about their business. They can upload video if they want to put a pitch in there. And then on the other side of the platform, we're onboarding investors who are able to quickly 
filter by whatever their investment thesis is. So if they like investing in B2B SaaS companies with 200K revenue, they can filter by all those things and then quickly identify companies that are most likely statistically outside their current pipeline and add them in to complement their existing pipeline to help bring more, um, more equality, more equity um, across the, the entire VC ecosystem. So can you share us a little bit inside about your data? Like, can you share how many founders do you have on your platforms or how many startups are, do you have on your platform or how many investors do you have? Yeah, so we pushed the MVP live at the end of February. Mm -hmm. And st so still fairly early days for us. Um, we have just around 100 startup users now and around 20 investor users. Um, before we, our, our growth plan is to get to somewhere between 250 to 500 startups before we actively start marketing on the investor side. So right now the investors we have are very friendly in the space. And how old is the platform? So platform was launched at the end of February. This year, right? Yep. Okay, okay, I got it. So like basically you are going after a very specific category or very niche area. So you might have faced some kind of problem while going through this whole journey. I'm kind of sure about that because you are going really after a specific category that is founders with a diverse background. You're also welcoming, so I'm asking you this question, so you're also welcoming uh, all the founders which are having a focus on diverse background or bringing the teams with a diverse background. So can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're really trying to support um, di diverse founders. Um, we really want to make it, there's, there's a lot of people in the space that are already doing a lot of good work here. We're just trying to consolidate that ecosystem. So our, our goal is to get every female founder, every person of color who's a founder, every LGBTQ plus founder, get them all in the same space so that it becomes the, we can reach a critical mass that essentially becomes undeniable as a, a tool from the investor side, that investors kind of have to use the tool. And, and by doing so, everyone gets more exposure. So it's like same if a startup filled the application and if some investor is looking for that particular kind of company and if they go through this whole application and if they're interested they can send the message to the entrepreneur or a company yeah that that's exactly right so so we really are focused on discovery where a lot of the companies in this space that kind of end up connecting investors with startups are discovery is a little bit secondary to some other feature offerings um, and so we leave it up to investors to decide whether or not they want to reach out um, it, it's still imperative that the startups are viable. Um, we, we, we want our investors to make money. We want our investors to make market returns. And I, I'm betting that that's completely viable, um, with underrepresented founders. Yeah. I faced it myself as well. Like when I was trying to raise the money and then I stopped doing it for X, Y, Z reason. And then I bootstrapped the whole uh, product itself. So I was trying to raise the money, but I realized that the things are not taking the second step. Like that they don't say you upfront that they're not going to give you the money. It's just like things never take the next step. And you are always wondering what happened. Was the product not ready or the market was not ready? It's just like, <laughs> you know that what I'm saying, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think when, when I talk to established investors in the space, I kind of hear two different sentiments. Um, one sentiment I hear is investors who completely agree that there's a huge problem here. 
um, but don't really know what to do. And they've kind of reached a, what I would consider a little bit of apathy about like, it's a problem that can't be solved. And then, but the more common response I hear is investors who claim to be founder agnostic. And they say, hey, Forrest, all I care about is making money. I don't care where someone's from. I don't care what they look like. I don't care um, where, where they come from. All I care about is that I can get my market returns. And, and my hope is that our product can actually solve that and kind of kill that pipeline problem for them. Um, but I do think there is probably a little bit more to it than just the pipeline problem that, that's being claimed. Um, there, there's the, the, the data, the demographic data is large enough, that the gap is large enough that it's hard to rationalize it just being a pipeline problem. And I, I don't personally don't believe it is a pipeline problem. And for us, you are only focused on the U.S. market or startups from anywhere can join your platform? Yeah, good question. Um, we get that question a lot, actually. There's, um, and so we're looking at international in a way that we hadn't before. Right now, the product is marketed in the United States, mostly because it's only the, the, the space that I understand. I, I know the market. I know the VC landscape here. I know what the demographic issues are here. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable yet marketing internationally because I'm not well-versed enough, but it's something that at some point we will do for sure. Okay. And how are you solving this chicken and egg problem or how were you able to solve this chicken and egg problem? Because you know that you are handing uh, startup founders or founders and the investors as well. So you are trying to bring the investors first or you try to bring the investors first or the entrepreneurs first, or how are you solving this problem? Yeah, it's a, a common question with a two-sided platform is kind of where do you start and how do you do it? Um, and, and the answer is we're leaning into the startup side first. Um, the, the reality is we, we, need, uh, we need to get to a critical mass of startups before investors will touch the product. And so that's why we're leaning in that side first. Um, the value prop that we have to offer startups right now, frankly, it's not great. The, the value prop that we offer today is it's better than nothing. It is you're going to get something. We have investors that are actively engaged in the platform. Um, and so we, but we need to quickly get that to scale so that we can add investors to the platform and start making sure that the, the founders we have are seeing that benefit. So if some investor sends a message to the entrepreneur, now you have the email integration as well. I'm hoping that. So the, the entrepreneur is going to receive a message from that investor. So I'm just trying to understand the whole, uh, kind of solution that you're having just to try and just trying to understand the platform as well so the the person the entrepreneur is going to receive the, an email right or something else is going to happen yeah it's a little bit like a, a take a bumble model um uh -huh. to the dating app uh we know that investors end up getting inundated with outreach that a lot of times gets kind of lost and we didn't want to create another place where just people would be pinging investors that don't really align and and so investors can outreach to founders on the platform founders cannot outreach to investors mm -hmm. okay so did you raise any money or it's just completely bootstrapped so far we've been completely bootstrapped um we had intended the reason we launched in february is because our go-to-market strategy our intention was to be in person we wanted to hit different ecosystems starting with south by southwest um mm -hmm. obviously covid kind of derailed that and so we are looking at some seed funding, starting to have a little bit of seed funding conversations just to scale things up on the digital marketing side a bit faster than we have 
Okay, so I want to explain to the listeners that bootstrapping is not easy. You're going to say that, okay, first you said or in the previous episodes that in raising the investments is, is not easy. Now you're saying bootstrapping is not easy. Yeah, there is nothing easy in this world. This is life and life is hard. Sometimes it's more hard. So it's just like I want to explain to you like uh, bootstrapping is not an easy process again because you are having a limited resources and you want to do many things. You want to do many things because you you might be trying to compete against the uh, people or the company which is having already which is already having investment raised by bigger giants like they are having millions of dollars and you want to fight against them it's going to it's not going to be a fair fight but you have to take your chances and for taking the chances is going to be hard because you have to do you have to build a nice platform or you you need to build a nice product and you need to sell it you need a team to do that right so bootstrapping is not easy these are the some these are some of the reasons that's why bootstrapping is not easy process so uh what do you think of forest uh, what is your take on bootstrapping um yeah i mean bootstrapping is it's hard it really is uh the thing that i like about bootstrapping is that you own it literally but mm-hmm. you all, you own control you own the direction you get to dictate what happens and why it happens um but i also i think i also think bootstrapping can be lonely it feels isolated you can be on an island and, and that's one of the the benefits to choosing to go with funding is that you end up building out your network based on your investors network as well um but yeah i think i think bootstrapping is is a is a perfectly good model if you're bringing in revenue and you're growing and you don't feel like you and you want to grow steadily just do it bootstrap yeah yeah i agree with you there so i want to ask you how did you come up with this business idea yeah this started for me um about 4 or 5 years ago in terms of the ideation side i was fundraising for the very first time i was exposed to that and i could not believe i my background's in operations and so i'm usually looking for efficiencies and i found the whole process completely inefficient um i was at a startup that was growing well very good strong growth metrics and i still was having a hard time getting meetings um i was googling you know i would just literally be googling like venture capital boston and mm-hmm. taking gps and put them into a spreadsheet and then cross reference them with linkedin to see if someone could get me a warm intro and i just couldn't believe that i thought i was doing something wrong and it turned out no that's kind of how it works and mm-hmm. and when i started looking at that a little bit more I realized that like if I can't get an intro and I'm a straight white guy with great metrics behind me how is how is somebody who doesn't look like me being able to do this and it turned out they weren't there's this giant giant chasm um for funding for people that are not white dudes yeah and I'm going to repeat the same thing I over the years I've seen this thing like uh, when you approach the investors the tendency or they they try they try or they want you to have a warm introduction before you approach them for raising a money it's just like uh, kind of a, if you're not in that circle if you're not in their inner circle it's really hard it's very very hard like i have seen on twitter i've seen on many live examples as well like when you try to reach the investor when you try to reach the investor like even on twitter they say that okay send us your pitches then they're going to try to look for the references that means you, they are again trying to look for the warm introduction or they want you to become the part of the inner circle or find someone from the inner circle when i say inner circle that means the companies 
uh, in which they have already invested or the people they already know, maybe their lawyers, their doctors or someone else, like someone that can introduce you to them. That's why like the warm introductions are really kind of hard to get because you're talking about top 1%, top 1% of the people you're trying to reach those people. And if you are from, you're not from that entrepreneur background, you don't know any from anyone from the investment circle, it's going to be really hard for you or really hard for someone to raise the money. So when you, and if you're part of the incubators and accelerators, things become a little bit easier because you are already vetted and they have seen you there. Uh, they know the people, they know that, okay, you've, you've been through the training and now you know the things. So it becomes a little bit easier with the incubators and accelerators. But if, you, if you're not from that circle, again, I'm telling you, like you're going to burn a lot of money because you're going through your operational expenses and then you're burning your time to uh, improve the pitch decks, to pitch to the investors, try to raise the money. And it's not an easy process one more time, Not uh, similar to the bootstrapping, similar to the bootstrapping, this is not an easy process again. So what is your take on this for us about the warm introductions and whole investment scenario that I just explained? Yeah, yeah, I think it's tough. And and I do empathize on the investor side, especially as I've gotten to know investors. They The, the reason the warm introduction is so valuable to them is because it creates some credibility before they even have to go to the conversation. So when you are an investor, you have to understand that everyone is trying to get money from you all the time. Mm -hmm. And everyone thinks that their business is the transformational business. Theirs is the one that's going to grow. And most of them are wrong. Mm -hmm. And so you end up, I think, probably overcorrecting and oversteering into taking the warm intros because you trust the person that introed you. You've already built a connection with them and you know they wouldn't be sending you somebody who wasn't worth your time. But to your point, what that means is if you don't have those initial connections, if you don't have the connections to the connections, then you're just kind of inherently isolated. And that's not a reflection of your ability as a, as a founder. It's not a reflection of the marketability of your product. It's just a nature of how the ecosystem's currently set up. Yeah, so I attended one conversation a few days back and I was asking the question in that conversation, in that meeting, I was asking a question, okay, how you can find the investors, like if you don't have the warm introductions. And the answer was that there is no silver bullet. I know that, but I was asking from a different point of view. Hey, yeah, leave that part. But I'm I'm giving you a scenario like, okay, if I'm like not if I'm a, I'm from Toronto. I'm from Toronto, and I want to raise money here. The Canadian ecosystem, Canadian investment ecosystem, is a little bit different. Here, investors uh, are trying to look for monetization first. They want to see the money flow first in the product or in the business. Uh, then they want to see okay, how what is your projection and other things. But in the U.S. in the Silicon Valley, the things are a little bit different. They they see the future. They want to see okay what you're trying to solve and they know that okay if it, they are not making money now or because if because the product might not be monetized yet but the canadian ecosystem ecosystem don't think in that way they they need to see the money flow right now silicon valley completely opposite they want they want they want you to tackle a bigger market they want the product is going to be useful for mass amount of people so then they will see, they know that they're going to make the money um, maybe in within a couple of months or a couple of years. But 
every Toronto entrepreneur or if every entrepreneur from any part of the world is going to go to the Silicon Valley without any connections, the, the thing is going to be you will not get the money and startup will fail. What do you think about this, Forrest? The, the, that issue is, is very common in the United States as well. Frankly, 70% of all venture capital in the United States is in just four cities. It's Silicon Valley what, what region, Silicon Valley, New York, Boston, and LA. So if you're not in any of those four places, it means your, your opportunity to get capital, is, it's a lot harder. Um, one of, to your point specifically about kind of raising at an ideation stage, uh, I talked to an investor fairly recently who shined some light on this for me in a way that I hadn't thought about it before. And I asked him, I said, hey, how come you can go to the Valley and you can raise you know, $20 million on just a good idea, but I can't get $5 million for something that has traction already here. What, what's going on with that? And the way the investor explained it to me is that from their perspective of investing, having more money to invest actually makes an ideation investment more viable, even though it's more capital out, what you're essentially funding is everything from the point of idea to building, to R and D, to creation of the product. Where if the, this investor I was speaking to said, if I could write $20 million checks, if I could afford that, then I could afford to invest at ideation. I can't afford that. I can only afford $5 million checks. So that means I need to see more traction in order for me, my, for, in order for the capital I invest, to actually make an impact um, for that business, which is something I hadn't really thought about. And, I, and certainly gave me some new perspective on ideation investing, at least. Okay, another deeper level inside from the person who has already done that. So I'm going to ask you, so you're working on this uh, project alone on crowd.io alone, or you're having a team member? Yeah, founding team members. Um, I have a, a COO who is a kind of an analytics whiz and we're excited to kind of deploy his talents again once we're at scale and we can kind of lean into the big data side of things. And then our CTO is a, a brilliant woman of color um, working on her PhD in computer science, uh, very Im impactful in the um, in the social impact space as well. So she runs a dev shop. She also is trying to, she's on a quest to make Milwaukee the most diverse tech ecosystem in the country. And she's doing a great job of it. So if I will start the application right now on your platform, do you know, do you have an idea like how much time it will take you, take me to finish an application? Um, yeah, it is. It, will be as time consuming as you want it to be. And I encourage people to put more robust info information in their profile because it certainly makes you more attractive to investors and makes the our search algorithm work a little bit better. But the reality is it's not hard to get a profile up. Um, it, it's a few pieces of required information, just some kind of KPIs about your business, the types of things that we know investors want to see. But beyond that, there's a free text section where you can write as much as you want. We allow you to upload video. So if you want to put a video that's a product demo or a pitch, you can do that as well. And I do encourage it. But again, it's very low effort to get onboarded. What are your future plans for Uncrowd? Yeah, so right now we are specifically trying to, to find traction, get a market hold, get, get into the ecosystem and get to a place. Our goal is to get to some level of ubiquity within the diverse investing space where we just want to be a tool that is kind of synonymous with investing. Um, the, the long term, the, the sunshine and rainbows unicorn version is we don't see anything in the market that answers the question of how do you start fundraising? 
right now, if you were to ask me, hey, how do I get a job or I'm looking for a job, I would kind of default. I'd say, hey, make sure your LinkedIn profile is up to date. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we just don't have an answer for that that's good for I'm starting to fundraise. If you ask me, hey, I'm looking to fundraise, my default answer would be maybe I can introduce you to some rich people I know. And maybe those rich people can introduce you to other rich people, mm -hmm. which is just not an efficient way to do things in 2020. Um, the, the fact that we don't have a, a large scale tech solution for this is a missed opportunity. Forrest, I've seen other similar kind of products as well. So what is the USB in your product? Um, no, I mean, as I said, we're, we're not a particularly technically complex product. We're really just a, a piece of tech in the middle right now. Um, but no one has been in this space. No one is doing things well in this space. So some of the, the go-to competitors in this space, people think of AngelList, they think of Gust. Mm -hmm. um, AngelList is a job board first. Um, but people go there because it's a place that startups and investors both are. It's a job board and they're also doing their own syndicate funding right now. So they're not super interested in helping you just acting as a discovery platform. Gust is a financial documents um, processing platform. So it's good again to connect because inherently it's a place where investors and startups are both there. But if you're looking for early stage, you're not going to find anyone on Gust because it's for companies that are already at the place of needing to process their financial docs. And so you're missing out on a whole bunch of founders, which again, adversely affects underrepresented founders who are not already not getting funded. So probably aren't even aware of Gust. Um, and so you miss out on this large swath. Then kind of on the other side, we see competitors that are your crunch bases or your pitch book, which are great, great data resources. Although there's questions about how accurate some of that data is, but um, very good for deep dive if you're doing your due, your, you're doing due diligence. Mm -hmm. But as far as just kind of a, a straight discovery play of trying to find companies that fit your thesis, it's a little bit more difficult through platforms like that, where we're really just trying to connect. We're trying to complement top of funnel deal flow. I love that part. I want to give opportunity to the listeners. Uh, I want to give an opportunity to the listeners by asking you this question, which area of your life you think that can be improved by any business idea? I mean, any, whether that's a software product or whether that's a physical product, any, anything in your life you think that someone should have done something in here or it's untapped? That's a great question. The, the idea I've been thinking about so much since COVID is I want a corporate or, a, or a, a customer to business Venmo account. I've been paying my friends through Venmo forever. The fact that I can't go to a store and buy things with Venmo or go to a restaurant and pay my, my tab with Venmo or whatever, insert technology X, that's what I want. I don't want to touch anybody's money anymore. I don't want to touch pens and sign things. I don't, I just want to be able to pay from my phone that please, please somebody make this technology. <laughs> of course, uh, if somebody's listening to this uh, episode right now from a payment gateway category or someone is who is having an idea about a payment gateway, like this is going to be really helpful. So what kind of change would you like to see in this world? I want to ask you this from an overall point of view, not from a product point of view, like overall, what kind of change would you like to see in this world? Yeah, I, I've got two that I would like to share. Um, the first one is more directly actionable. And it's that moving into startups or being a startup founder or moving into entrepreneurship is rarely as scary as it's made out to be or as risky as it feels. Um, I think a lot of people who haven't taken that leap view it as kind of a binary option where you go from one day having a nice, secure, safe, stable job with health insurance. And then the next day you're working out of your garage and everything's up in the air, but maybe there's a big swing. And the reality is 
there's not a lot that are actually like that. And certainly not a lot that are successfully like that. It tends to be a much slower burn and it can be a slow burn. It could be something that you start on nights and weekends and you put in a little bit of time and you can play around and see if there's market viability. It does not need to be the big swing that I think uh, pop, pop culture makes it out to be. So I think there's an easier entry point for more founders than we have right now. The other thing I would like to say is specifically on the diversity point, I think, especially right now, there's a lot of press around diversity, not just diversity invest, investing, but even diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and, and I'd like to help, help frame that in a way that is, it's truly an ROI decision. Um, if you do not have a diverse team, then you cannot reach diverse customers. You cannot speak in a way that's gonna make sense to them. You cannot make decisions about your product that's gonna work for all of the people that you're calculating in your TAM, your total addressable market. And so approach diversity with it as a vital piece to sales, a vital piece to revenue, as opposed to a box to check. Wow, respect, man, respect. And I want to ask you, where can we learn more about you and your business? Yeah, so uncrowd.io is our site. It's live now. We're, it's still an MVP, so be gentle if you can encounter any bugs. <laughs> um, and then beyond that, you can follow us on Instagram at uncrowd. We're on Twitter at uncrowd1. Um, and you can feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I love talking to people. I'm always happy to field founder questions, especially about fundraising, because it's a really weird landscape to navigate. So please do reach out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming to the part today. It means a lot. Thank you. It was awesome. This was a great conversation. Thank you.